BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Elisa Pressman, and today's conversation is with Donna Jackson Nakazawa, who's an award-winning journalist and internationally recognized speaker whose work explores the intersection of neuroscience, immunology, and human emotion. Her latest book, Girls on the Brink, Helping Our Daughters Thrive in an Era of Increased Anxiety, Depression, and Social Media, allows for such a great conversation about what neuroscience tells us is unique about how our daughters' brains are developing and how they uniquely respond to stress, social media, and the world that we live in today. If you enjoy this episode, please don't forget to write a little review, give a five-star rating, and of course, DM me on at Raising Good Humans Podcasts with any questions or follow-up. And please, if you haven't already, run, don't walk, and sign up for my exclusive Apple Premium. It's just under the Raising Good Humans Podcast and you pay $2.99 a month, and you get bite-sized content that's easy to digest and a little extra something for your week. I set out to do this book for a couple of reasons. First, I had a teenage daughter who's now in her early 20s and a teenage son, and I saw the difference, right, in their coming-of-age experiences in the times in which we live, with the influx of social media, just so many things were hitting girls harder it seemed, in the lived experience for me as a parent, my friends. And also, we were seeing this incredible uptick, as you know, in the number of girls who were reporting depression and anxiety. And to be clear here, I'm not talking about being diagnosed with depression and anxiety because then people want to jump in and say, well, but girls are more in touch with their feelings. They're more likely to say I'm depressed. No, what we're talking about are studies out of public health institutions showing things like by age 17, a third of girls report a period of major depression marked by guilt, feelings of unworthiness, inability to take pleasure in former activities, not wanting to go to school, feeling hopeless. And we were seeing that for the past couple of years before the pandemic, that the number of girls with depression and anxiety was two, three, four times the rate of boys, depending on what study you were looking at. So all that was going on. The CDC was reporting that the rate of suicide attempts in girls had risen 51%. On top of which, I was starting to do events with children's hospitals. 
And they were seeing that their ERs were full of girls who couldn't get beds because they weren't suffering from appendicitis. They didn't want to live. So all this came together. I talked to a couple of leading female neuroscientists who, you know, as a science journal, I'm able to call people and say, what the heck is going on? I talked to four of the leading female neuroscientists on the planet, and they told me things that I did not know about research that has been going on for the past several years about the differences between how chronic stress and adversity across health and development, what does health and development mean? It means like conception to adolescence and adulthood, how chronic stress affects the developing brain and immune system across development in ways that are different in females. And get this, wrap your head around this. It was only a few years ago that the National Institutes of Health requested, did not require, that neuroscientists include female models in their study of the brain and the intersection of stress, no matter what area they were looking at. How does adversity affect the brain? How does it affect PTSD? Does this link to depression and anxiety? All of that was done in animal models and preclinical research using male brains. So as a reporter, hey, I've written a few books. All of that research I was reporting on in detail with three, 400 endnotes per book had been based on this male model. I'm not talking about epidemiology, which of course looks at male-female differences. Epidemiology, for people who don't know, that's like this group of people have this outcome when they're faced with X versus that group where we can look at live humans. But when we're looking at the brain, when we're looking at the immune system, when we're looking at how they interface in the face of not feeling safe, hey, there are really big differences in how that kind of stress creates global changes at puberty in the female brain. And to me, even as we respect and hold dear the rights of each and every individual to be whoever and whatever they are across gender, we cannot turn a blind eye to what we are learning for the first time about the female brain and how we might apply it to helping address this crisis we see in our girls. Well, and it's kind of true in general when you look at a lot of research that we count on. Right. For many things, like much of the field of developmental psych was historically done with a particular socioeconomic group, particular racial and ethnic identity. And so a lot of the things that we know, we don't really know in the way that we think we do. And so given all of this, tell us a little bit about, and I think you said this with the assumption that everybody understands this sense of safety and what that means. Sure. But acknowledging what we're talking about when we talk about stress and what that does to this developing female brain would be so, I think will really blow people's minds on the one hand. And on the other hand, I think it gives people a real, oh, yeah. <laughs> that ma- That's that what's ma- going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, to jump back for a tiny second, one researcher told me the reason women had been left out of it was that researchers wanted to keep those pesky hormones out of the way. So anyway, right? So good. So good. <laughs> really helpful. So it turns out hormones have a lot to do with it. 
And we talked about the term safety. So let's just do a basic explainer of what I mean when I say that. What I mean is that safety is something that we evolved across evolutionary time to crave, need, watch out for, discern, and try to detect 24-7. Our brain is really this threat detective, right? And across development, across childhood and puberty and adolescence, the developing brain is really asking, am I safe or not safe? And if the answer is all these things are coming in at me hot and fast, and I mean, whether we're talking what's happening to girls on social media, global warming, school shootings, pandemic, and the incredible, layer this on top of, right, the incredible sexism that girls face in a world in which they are more likely to be harassed or raped by virtue of growing up female, you layer all that on top of the fact that girls are spending more time on social media and they're getting more critiques on social media and they have to pretend that they're an adult female and take off more clothes to be liked. Or as one of the girls in the book told me, hey, if you want to be popular at school, first you have to be popular on Instagram. If you want to be popular on Instagram, you've got to sexualize yourself as if you're a grown woman, even if you're 12. So all that together is not feeling safe. And yet across evolutionary time, as our brains developed, they developed to take in signals of safety in ways that shaped the brain. What do I mean by this? The brain and the immune system evolved together. And here's why. Across evolutionary time, way back when, to be part of a tribe required a lot of cooperation, a lot of collaboration. And if you were in any way socially dissed or dismissed or made fun of, or people were rolling their eyes at you, that might not seem like a big deal today, but guess what? Back then it really was because you would be set at the edge of the tribe where you would be much more likely to be attacked by marauding tribes or predator or not have food or shelter, which would lead to, here's what's really important, physical harm. And in physical harm, being harmed, your immune system must rev up very, very, very quickly to respond to try to keep you safe. So I'm going to cover a lot of concepts kind of quickly here, but hopefully really simply. And that meant that over time, the immune system and the brain developed together so that at the very first sign of not being safe socially and emotionally, the stress response which is our immune system, revs up in a really big way and becomes very, very, very powerful and can, over time, lead to inflammatory processes that would take three chalkboards to fill that lead to not only physical disease, but also mental health disorders like depression and anxiety. So add into this the fact that girls, when they go through puberty, estrogen comes in. And guess what estrogen is? It is an immune system amplifier. Now, estrogen is this very juicy, groovy hormone. We think of it as responsible for that thrum of sexual excitement or mood swings across adolescence. It's so much more than that. It's a master regulator in the body. It hones the brain. It adds in growth nutrients in the brain. It helps neurons grow and touch and connect. It helps our organs function really well. And when estrogen comes in during puberty, it is the reason why 
girls can do everything that a male body can do, even though they are physically smaller often, our organs are smaller, and we still have to make room for a uterus. Estrogen is why women have a more robust response to vaccines. On the downside, this amplified stress response that triggers the immune system to come back hard and fast. That is also why women have autoimmune disease at three, four, five times the rate of men. It's why women right now are suffering from more long COVID. So it is an evolutionary advantage to have this extra amped up, jacked up power of estrogen protecting you. But when you meet chronic, unrelenting stress, adversity, and don't feel safe, it flips from an evolutionary advantage to an evolutionary disadvantage. And in that, it begins to pump up the stress response in ways that we can see lead to a re-sculpting of the brain that we can also see on MRI scans of the brain and PET scans are patterns that we know are related to depressive and anxious symptoms. And now a quick break from my sponsor. It's holiday time. Have you found the perfect gift for family members who live far away? Because if you haven't, I have Skylight Frames to suggest. Skylight is the perfect gift. My grandfather was given this gift from all of his grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and he loved it because he's far away and could get pictures just emailed right to it that go in rotation in this one frame. Because Skylight Frame is a photo frame you can update instantly by email from anywhere. It's a great way to feel close to those you love, even when you're separated. And it sets up effortlessly in under 60 seconds. You just plug it in and use the touch screen to connect to your wireless network and enjoy. And Skylight Frame has a vibrant touchscreen display that lets you swipe through photos and even tap a heart to let the person who sent the photo know you loved it. It's so sweet because my grandfather can just swipe through and see his seven grandchildren and five great-grandchildren and feel like they're right there, all with up-to-date pictures and smiles. Now, as a special offer, you can get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code HUMANS. That's right. To get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter the code HUMANS. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com, promo code HUMANS. As a mom, I'm thinking about the health and well-being of all of our loved ones. And as a developmental psychologist, I know that thinking about the health and well-being of our loved ones while trying to figure out what the best thing to do is, is weighing heavily on so many people. It's critical to stay informed about anything and everything that affects our families, including how to stay safe against COVID-19 infection with COVID-19 vaccines and boosters. And as some of you may know, vaccines have been authorized for the whole family, including little ones, to help protect them against serious illness from COVID-19. The vaccine has been proven to be safe and effective. And in California, where I am, hundreds of thousands of infants and toddlers over six months have already been safely vaccinated against COVID-19. In more recent news, the updated COVID-19 booster is now available 
and can help strengthen our protection against the original coronavirus and also target the newer, more infectious strains. Californians ages five and older can now get their updated booster. Don't wait and help the whole family get vaccinated. Head to myturn.ca.gov for more information about COVID-19 vaccines and booster for the entire family. That's where you can find the resources and information you need, including the options to book vaccine appointments or find a walk-in location near you. Protect your family from serious illness. Visit myturn.ca.gov today. We think about our stress response and we don't always think about how similar threats look to our brains, despite how different they look when we're, you know, as adults, you think you can reason between different kinds of threats. And sometimes you don't realize that physical safety, emotional safety, and all these ways that are much deeper and richer ways to feel safety are going to look and present very similarly in this brain we have. I almost want to go over very briefly some of those things, and you kind of touched on it. You mentioned sexualization and social media and certain expectations of popularity. What would you say some of those big picture threats are that maybe present as similarly as a tiger chasing us in the jungle? Sure. So one of the things that we didn't touch on that I think we can all relate to is that, as I report in the book, we've lost those in-between years, right? So you have two teenage daughters. I have two kids in their early and mid-20s. And I certainly know that for me, I'm a lot older than you, but when I grew up, we certainly had a period of time that we've lost now. And I call those the in-between years, that period of time where you know, kids felt a lot less pressure. They had more room to develop socially and emotionally and figure out their friendships and physically to lie on the grass and chat with their friends about whatever might be on their minds. And that has all been replaced with this period that's very performative, whether you're on social media and posing in your new clothes or on TikTok, performing that line between being and performing has been blurred. And at the same time, we have higher and earlier benchmarks for everything academically. You know, you've got to be a soccer star by eight or you're going nowhere. If you're not in the gifted and talented classes by fifth grade, it's all over for you. That ratcheted up earlier timeline for everything is really about one thing, if you think about it. Very similar to what kids face on social media. It's about being judged externally and in a way that is competitive, hierarchical. In that mode, at that age, those in-between years between 7 and 13, which are really this very, very crucial neurodevelopmental bridge between childhood and adolescence, a lot's happening in the brain. The brain's trying to figure out, like, how do I respond to things in an appropriate way? What's safe? What's not safe? Like, is this a big deal? Is it a little deal? Is it going to be over in the morning or is this an emergency? Now, we left out one really important thing, and that is that puberty is happening a lot earlier than it used to. In 1800, it was 16 for girls. In 1900, it was 15 for girls. Today, it's 11. So we've also removed those in-between years in that way. Even in the last couple of years, puberty has become earlier. 
than it used to. So put this all together, everything we've talked about. I promise after we like do all this, we are really going to get to everything we can do about it because there is so much hope and promise now that we know all this, right? So here's the kicker. You've got estrogen coming in to rewire the brain. Remember I said it's a master regulator in the brain. It literally comes in and the whole brain remodels based on one question, am I safe or not safe? We've removed these in-between years for just exploring the world without pressure, figuring out who am I? What do I love? What do I care about? What makes a good friend? You know, like, what am I good at? What am I not good at? Who loves me? Where am I safe? And all that is important for wiring up the brain, building burden scaffolding so that we know how to respond to those things across our lives. And at the same time, we've really heated everything up environmentally, politically, socially, emotionally. And for kids born after 1995, studies show who are now 27 or 28 and younger, for those girls, we saw a marked decrease in their mental health those girls who went through adolescence and puberty, once social media became this very, very algorithm-driven machine to gin up comparison, negativity, and difficult emotions. So we can break that down. I think everybody knows what we're talking about when we talk about that, but we can certainly break down the research on how social media also affects the brain in really profound ways. So you put all that together. You bring it in at a time in development in which the brain is not wired and fired up to handle any of this. And what do I mean by that? I mean, put it in context. Know what distress is. Know if it's distress that requires voicing it to an adult. Knowing how to ask for help. Knowing how to process what you are even thinking about what is happening to you. So. Everything is moved into this earlier, very crucial window of development where the brain is very vulnerable, does not have the tools to handle all of this, and estrogen is coming in, amplifying. I think that's the word we were looking for. Amplifying was exactly the word. Amplifying (laughs) the effects of all of this stress and adversity at a very delicate time. And that is when we begin to see the brain remodeling too early on too much, too quickly. And we see the negative outcomes that we read about every day. I think that one of the motivating factors of learning about the science is that it helps us as parents make decisions. And one decision that's really hard for parents in this culture of social media and the world, and I'm not I think, you know, today's episode is not super focused exclusively on social media, though we're talking about it because it's an inevitable contributing factor. But I think it's worth saying that whenever people say, well, that ship sailed, especially for these past few years because of the pandemic, where a lot of parents said, well, I'm going to just let my nine-year-old have social media because it's their only way of connection. So they may be prior to that, we're going to wait until 13 or 12 or 15 or whatever they want to do but it just got way earlier because of our real worry that our kids were losing connection. And so I think two things worth saying are, one, we're parents. The ship has never sailed. (laughs) We can always say, hey, I've been thinking about this. How are you feeling about this? I'm not loving how this is going. 
call on the brain science and have a collaborative conversation. Absolutely. Right. Like we, we can say like, you know what, that doesn't feel right. Absolutely. How's that feeling for you? And maybe let's pull back a bit or let's decide let's not do as much or let's rethink how we're viewing it and figure out checkpoints to say, you know, I was on these three apps, but two of them make me feel pretty awful. And I've just been noticing it more now that we've talked about it. And there's this other thing where we're parents and we're paying and we're allowing, and we don't need to completely say, well, that ship sailed. But I'm saying all this with the understanding that one, it's going to be up to the individual family and every kid is kind of, yeah. we can give broad pictures of developmental trajectories with the knowledge that everybody develops at a different pace, have different skills and parents have different relationships. And that the most important thing that you highlight in your book, that's in all of the research, it's something we just know so deeply is that relationship yeah. is so, so connected to resilience. I wanted to just address that social media aspect because there's no way to not hear that right now. And for some parents go into a panic, some right. of you, don't some of you won't have, right. Don't panic. And don't some of panic. you don't have kids that are on social media yet, but you're thinking about it. And some of you have kids that said, Hey, there's no way for me to communicate with my friends without Snapchat. And so you gave them Snapchat and then you were like, well, now I've given them that we're going to have TikTok and Instagram and be real and everything else. And for some parents, they feel like, well, my kid's doing really well. So I'm allowing this and everyone's going to come at this from a different place. But here we just want to go through that science. And then I think we can move to some of the solutions. But what is some of the science on the parts of social media that are particularly harmful for girls? And is there anything we can do to modify that risk? Sure. So I fully 100% ditto everything that you said and to sort of break it down and unpack it a little bit in terms of the science. So we know the more time a girl spends on social media, the more likely she is to get depressed. We know that a third of girls who say they don't feel good about their bodies say it started on Instagram, blah, blah, blah. We've heard a lot of these stuff. Um, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Sorry. We've all heard this. And We've all heard this. So I'm not going to blah, yeah. blah, blah about that. But I will say that some of the research that I think people don't know about, which again, we just want you to use as a grounding technique, as a way of finding your place, where you're going to put your line in the sand as a family and, and to invite you to open up that conversation. And we're going to talk about how to do that. Right. So we'll, we'll get into that nitty gritty because those are tough conversations to have. We know that the way in which algorithms have shifted around 2012 with the like buttons and the share buttons, this was really a negative for girls in particular, because a lot of the engagement for girls happens around sexuality and around appearance, right? That scrolling and comparing, what we call upward comparison, you know, how on social media, it always looks, of course, as if everyone is doing better, everyone is more beautiful. Girls really feel a kind of unworthiness. I would go so far as to say ugliness that is unique to their generation because of this upward comparison, this scrolling, staring, comparing, and despairing. 
And this has a really profound effect on girls. It feels like, what did we just talk about? Unsafety, right? If I'm not measuring up, if I'm not good enough, that's not going to feel safe to me. If people are telling me I'm ugly or take off more clothes or all my friends are leaning forward with their cleavage in these shots in dressing rooms and stores, but I don't have any cleavage. Remember what we said, that social inclusion across evolutionary time is super, 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 super important to our sense of well-being and mattering and belonging. And we know that over time, when there is a lot of engagement over posts on social media around appearance or behavior or what fun thing you did this weekend, it tricks the adolescent brain in the same way that our brain as adults show that big dopamine surge and that reward pathway in the brain gets activated the way it might for us if we're thinking about winning the lottery, just to put it in understandable terms. It <laughs> creates that dopamine surge, which makes them want to go back for more, whether good or bad. So you would think, oh, well, they want to go back for more, you know, because it's good. No, 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 no. It's just to see, are they getting included now? Are they getting excluded now? Because that is what is so important to the brain at that age. Add into this that some really interesting work that I reported on in Girls on the Brink is the, a study which showed that over time, just seeing a lot of engagement around posts with high health risk behaviors. So what are high health risk behaviors? You know, very early sex, self-harm, cutting, early drinking, drug use. So those are high health risk behaviors, right? The engagement around those, good or bad, tricks the adolescent brain to turn off what researchers call the be careful filters. And that means that even though you are sitting there in your home and you all are having these profound, and as you noted, you know, parent-child connection is everything and open conversations about drinking or drug use or whatever, that high engagement around these high health risk behaviors tells the brain, because images are so much more powerful than words, that maybe it's okay. And those filters that tell a young person, nope, not doing that, get turned off. And now a word for my sponsor, Caraway. Good looking, clean cooking. I love Caraway because it is gorgeous stuff. And I'm not a phenomenal cook, as you've probably picked up on over the years, but I love having access to this fantastic cookware because when I am cooking, I don't want chemicals. I want non-toxic kitchenware that's beautiful so I can make healthier cooking a piece of cake. And I had Caraway before I was doing ads for Caraway because it fits the bill. And now Caraway's holiday event has been extended so you can get non-toxic kitchenwares at the best prices. Save up to 20% on all Caraway products, including their internet famous non-toxic cookware set. And for the first time ever, you can now save on Caraway's food storage, tea kettle, and mini cookware. Caraway products are made without any toxic materials, and ceramics naturally slick surface means minimal oil or butter for slide off the pan and easy cleaning. Visit carawayhome.com to take advantage of their cyber season event and score up to 20% off your next purchase of non-toxic kitchenware. 
This deal won't last long, so visit carawayhome.com to shop all their amazing products for up to 20% off this holiday season. To shop all of their incredible products for up to 20% off this holiday season, Caraway. So we know that typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. Kids are running for them because they're kind of yummy, but they usually have two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk that growing kids really do not need to eat. And that's why Haya was created, because it's a pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin that is particularly good for picky eaters. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets, particularly those who are picky, to provide the full-body nourishment kids need. And it's still yummy. It just doesn't have any sugar, no gummy junk, and it's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and really everything else free that you would want it to be. And it comes in a recyclable container that you can put fun stickers on they give you. And even doing that makes it just a little bit more personal and a little bit more likely that your kids are going to want it. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you have to go to hayahealth.com slash humans. This deal is not available on the regular website. You have to go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash humans, H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash humans, and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. So there's a lot that happens around imagery and engagement that shifts our perspective. And I think even as adults, we can relate to that, right? Like you see something getting a lot of engagement and we're just as humans, we're just wired to go, okay, well, that's interesting. Like, oh, well, maybe that's not so bad or, you know, everyone is doing it. We are none of us immune to that desire to be part of this greater connection, cooperation, collaboration, even when it's negative. And, and images have a much more profound effect on the adolescent brain than words. So we're sitting there at the dinner table. I know we didn't go to that party this weekend. I know we've talked about drinking today. And your kid is going, yes, of course, we agreed to that. I'm, I'm not going to have vodka at the party. But in that milieu, as we know, kids away from, once they're away from us, are more likely to engage in high health risk behaviors because of peer pressure. I mean, that's, you know, news as old as the hills, but add to it that they may be seeing this online, on social media, that combination effect is very, very powerful and can be powerful in a negative way. And also because there is so much sexist gendered messaging on social media, and there's this cognitive dissonance between, okay, well, you look on social media and you see, oh my God, you know, the USA gymnasts were all sexually assaulted by their coach and this girl on her way home from walking across the park and this girl and these girls who worked for said, replace the name, very powerful male in Hollywood or New York or wherever. And at the same time, we're in an era in which girls are coached by the imagery they see and the engagement they get to sexualize themselves as if they are adult women. Blurring that line between being a girl and being an adult female. And that is 
for instance, on TikTok, the younger you are, the more clothes you take off, the more likes and followers you get. So we're creating this cognitive dissonance in the discourse. And let's get back to parents. These are really tough conversations to have, right? Like, like parents, you are amazing. You are so amazing. You are trying to keep up with these times in which we live, in which so much is coming at us after a pandemic, right? Like, yeah, it is just overwhelming and it is okay to just want to put the cover over your heads. That is okay. I totally get that. And, you know, just get your kids and, and watch some old Miss Marple, <laughs> you know, like, like it's okay to want to just tune it all out. But because the times we're in are so very, very, very different than the times we grew up in, and because this has such a profound effect on health and development, especially for females coming into puberty and adolescence, we have to have these tough conversations. And that's really what the second half of the book is about, is really the underpinning of it, as I'm sure you saw, is how to have these really, really tough conversations around really hard things with the caveat that we first have to establish parent-child connection on a level that is so profound and safe that we know that even though our children are going through more and earlier than they should, and that it's very difficult for their brains to sort of articulate it and figure out what they need and what they feel and, and to process all that's coming at them, that we have to create a state of parent-child attunement that is so safe, so nurturing, so prepared to be there, so self-regulated within our own bodies and minds that they can come to us with absolutely anything, no matter how hard, that when they do, we make it a good experience for them. And very interesting research shows that the number one sign of flourishing across adolescence is whether or not you can answer yes to this one question. Can this child come to you and talk about anything, anytime, no matter how hard. That's what we're going for here, because with all that we talked about, the problems and how difficult it is for a girl going through adolescence today, all of that, that we're going to mitigate as these psychological stressors rise in girls' lives, we have a lot of profound ways that we can bring down that stress machinery we've been talking about in the brain, hormonally, whatever you want to, however you want to frame it, in the body and the brain, we can bring it down while we're also creating really, really safe connection. There are specific ways to do that. And what researchers told me is that when we're able to do that, remember, chronic stress is only a problem when its source remains unmitigated in the environment. And that in healthy, supportive environments where girls have this freedom to unload all that they're facing and where we have built the scaffolding for the kinds of support they need at home and at school and in the community, boy, that adolescent female brain is a freaking superpower. It is wired up to be uniquely agile. That corpus callosum between the left and right hemispheres is really huge in the female developing brain. Girls are taking in all kinds of cues and messages. They have a spidey sense that is really acute. And there are reasons for this across evolutionary time. But if we can create this kind of strong parent-child 
attunement, what some researchers call biosynchrony, which is what I call when every cell in you is offering up safety and connection to every cell of them. Kids know it and they can bring a lot of these discussions to us and they can also allow us or feel comfortable with us are the words I'm looking for, having these tough conversations with them. And when we're able to do that, we know more about what's going on in our daughter's minds. And we're more able to bring in these many, many antidotes that are neuroscience-based, that are neuroprotective, and help build that scaffolding for not just resiliency, but flourishing. Because the adolescent female brain is absolutely poised to flourish when we do these things. And that's the positive part. It really is poised to flourish when given the opportunity to have that kind of support and attunement. And I think to get specific about that, one thing, one thing that I could see putting someone into a little panic is, Uh-oh. this is not about a perpetual state of now I've got one, because it just takes one, although of course the more the better, but it does take one adult, you know, who's attuned to your needs and supportive so that, as you said, that chronic stress, what's, what's toxic, when you hear about toxic stress, what's missing in the picture of a child who's going through these experiences is that support system yeah. that is so powerful. It's so powerful. This body of research is so important because it's not just clear in the neuroscience, it's actionable. Like, I love this part of the science because it's so hopeful. Yes. That you can take a child from t- a state of toxic stress to a state of tolerable stress by simply becoming attuned and investing in the relationship, to me, is one of the most glorious things in the world because that we can yes. control. That Nothing else is in our control. But that to me is like, oh my God. So all of these things that we would never wish upon our kids that have happened can be part of their world and they'll still have tolerable experiences simply from our attunement and connection. I just, I just want to stress that, but that it doesn't mean that you're not going to like have a bad moment in the day and snap at your kid or just be like, get out of here. I I, I'm busy. Like these things are going to happen, but it's just more often than not is that attunement there are these cells connected, the cellular level of connection is that happening And when it's not, is there repair? So I'm just- That's that's, exactly what I was going to say. We all mess up. We all flip our lids. We say the wrong thing. It's hard. Being a parent is really hard, okay? It's not the easiest thing in the world. If you've asked someone four times to take out the trash on their night (laughs) to take out the trash- Yeah, you're not going to be super chill. You're not going to be super chill and you're making dinner and you still have a work deadline and, you know, somebody broke their foot and you've got to get them to, you know, that is parenting. But it is so easy to step back in if you know how to ground yourself and the skills are not that hard and regulate yourself and know like what makes you overreact, like what are your triggers to do that work on yourself so that you can be attuned to your child and make a repair when you blow it. That is yes. relationship gold right there. It is There is no greater commodity in family life than a parent who is able to do that.
Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.